Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So today, Shani, we're going to do a market update. And we'll obviously get to that in one second, but you have an important financial update. I guess I, I do. Yeah. I bought a house. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. It is. Yeah. I think we've spoken about this before um, in a couple of episodes about housing, but I had an IPS very similar to what I do for equities in my portfolio. And I had a checklist of things that I was looking for. And I thought, too hard basket doing it by myself. So <laughs> got a buyer's agent and um, they found something that ticked every box. But- well, there we go. And, and I've been told, I saw a video of the house, mm-hmm. a video walkthrough, but I've been told that I need to come over and carry a bunch of bricks. Yeah, the backyard needs Out of doing, your so. backyard. <laughs> yeah. That so, can be your housewarming present. Yes. So you're going to take the old man and make him carry bricks. Yes. Okay. Well, we can keep updated on that, but we need to do a market update. <laughs> we do need to do a market update. And they're normally very popular episodes. Yeah. No, they are very popular. And this is a little different because generally we do them when something really exciting is happening in markets. And it's pretty safe to say that nothing exciting is happening at all. But always good to do a bit of a check-in. Yeah. No, exactly. So we are a little more than four months into the year, at least when we publish it. We're doing this on April 27th, just so everyone knows. Um, But yeah, so why don't you give us a quick recap of what's happened in markets in the first four months of the year? All right, so let's start locally. The ASX 200 is up a little more than 5%. The S&P 500 is up just over 6%. Yeah, and a lot of those gains were early in the year. And now it kind of feels like we've gotten into a bit of a holding pattern. And you know what I think is interesting is last year, of course, the market was all about interest rates, and investors were obsessed with any indication of how high they would go and when they would stop rising. And we seem to have gotten to a point where, at the very least, they're starting to slow. The RBA left rates unchanged at their meeting in early April, and the Fed is widely expected to raise by a quarter point in early May, with many economists believing that is the last rate rise for the rest of 2023. And as I said earlier, changing opinions about what was happening with interest rates and inflation were a huge driver of what had been happening in markets. And that makes sense because, of course, markets are forward-looking. So the volatility that we see in the market is anticipation about what may happen in the future. And those expectations change, which is why the market bounces around so much. But we need to appreciate the fact that the impact of high interest rates may just be starting It takes a while for interest rates changes to be felt. Nobody knows for certain, but estimates from economists range from 12 to 18 months. March 16th, 2022 was when the Fed in the US started raising rates. The RBA started raising rates in May of 2022. So we're just hitting the low end of the estimate of when these rates actually start to take effect. And while the market has been anticipating the impact of the rate rises, the question now is what actually happens. In the Silicon Valley bank episode and some of the issues around U.S. and European banks, we see one of those impacts. And here in Australia, there has been a lot of talk about the upcoming mortgage cliff. $350 billion, or more than half the fixed rate mortgages, are due to expire in 2023. Another 38% of the loans will expire in 2024. 
The RBA estimates 90% of the fixed rate loans rolling off this year or next year will have to wear mortgage repayment increases of at least 30%. And this is reflective of a far larger global problem. The low interest rate era caused an unprecedented debt binge. People, companies, governments, everyone. And like most of my binges, this one is likely to end poorly as well. (laughs) What do you like to binge? I think you know what I'd like to pitch. <laughs> Let's summarize the scale of the problem. According to Standard & Poor's, global debt has hit $300 trillion, which is 349% of global GDP. And that is $37,500 US for every person on Earth. And GDP per capita is just $12,000. And we can use the debt to GDP ratio to show how profound the growth in debt has been. Let's start with governments. Government debt grew between 2007 and 2022 by 76% and is now 102% of GDP. Yeah, so apparently, Shani, all those COVID programs and all those GFC programs weren't free. But let's turn our attention to the corporate sector. The ratio is up 31% to 98% of GDP. And if we dig into those numbers, we can see a couple of problem areas. Chinese companies are one of the areas of concern. S&P looked at 6,000 Chinese corporations and found that the average debt-to-earnings ratio was six times. That's twice the global average. And if we look at U.S. companies, the percentage of companies with junk status, so that's a credit rating of B- and below, doubled, and it's now 36% of all companies. Consumers are actually doing relatively well in comparison. Household leverage only increased 7% between 2007 and 2022, and comes in at 64% of GDP. So that's good news, right? Or at least all the good news we can get yeah. out of this debt <laughs> binge. Um, but really, what we need to worry about now is that there's a higher interest rate environment. And of course, this pile of debt we collectively amassed becomes more difficult to service. So S&P estimates that 35% of debt is floating rate, which means based on the interest rate raises in 2022, there were $3 trillion in extra interest rate expenses. And those extra costs to service debt will have a direct impact on the economy. For companies, the extra expense comes directly out of profits for shareholders. For consumers and governments, it means less spending flowing through the economy. And this problem will get worse as fixed rate debt matures and has to be replaced at higher interest rates. And I think we need to be honest that all these companies are just not going to make it. And obviously, with each interest rise, this situation gets worse. So while we wait for the impacts to be felt, we also wait to see how high interest rates will go in this tightening cycle. And that is, of course, where we turn our attention to inflation. It has come down, but hasn't come down to the range that central banks want. In the US, the latest reading came in at 5%. In the EU, the last reading was 8.5%. In Australia, our last reading was 7%. But there are stubborn signs in the economy that inflation is not being brought under control. And this is what investors are waiting on. What is it going to take to get inflation under control? When will interest rates stop rising? And what are the implications to overall economic growth and to government, corporate and consumers who hold all this debt? Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. 
We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So it's safe to say that there is a lot of economic uncertainty. And while returns this year have been pretty resilient, under the surface, there are some causes of concern. So let's take the S&P 500, for example. The rally this year has been driven by a really narrow group of companies. The percentage of companies that are outperforming the index is the lowest amount since 2005. And valuation levels are still by no means cheap to account for all this uncertainty. We seem to just be muddling through. Waiting to see what unfolds with the economy, waiting to see what happens with the foreshadowed spring offensives in Ukraine, the fight over the debt ceiling in the US, and waiting to see if tensions keep rising between China and the West. And these are all reasons that we can use as investors to go into our shell. Wait until things seem less uncertain to invest. But there are always reasons not to invest. There are rarely times when there are no storm clouds on the horizon. And if you're feeling uneasy about this situation, then it might be a good time to just go back and revisit your plan. It will bring you peace of mind to know that you have a plan and strategy, but it also might be a good time to think a little bit about these large macroeconomic forces that are occurring and how that might impact your portfolio. We've talked a lot about inflation and how finding companies that can show resilience by passing along increased costs of goods and services to their customers. Might also be a good opportunity to look at debt levels of the companies that you may hold and thinking about the implications of the easy money era being over. A company that is carrying too much debt could also be carrying a good amount of risk. Companies that require continual funding through both the debt and equity markets might have issues continuing to get funding. Companies that have high debt levels are likely going to face higher interest costs going forward. So let's run through a couple examples, Shani. And we can start with a company that is likely in big trouble, and that would be our old friend Zip. We took a very negative view on Zip back when it was an investor darling. Yes, we did. And I guess the chickens have come home to roost. So Zip is struggling to become profitable. They are facing brutal competition from other buy now, pay later companies and other players, including Apple and the banks. And they are running out of cash. Now, throughout their history, they've just gone back to the well. When their share price was high, they raised more equity capital, and they kept borrowing and borrowing. They had a billion dollars of debt at the end of 2020, 2.1 billion at the end of 2021, and close to 2.8 billion by the end of 2022. This compares to $78 million in cash that they had at the end of 2022. And the issue is that they lost $1 billion last year in net income. And while our analyst who covers Zip predicts that they'll cut this loss this year and further next year, they need more cash to get through those losses. In fact, our analyst believes they'll have to go back to the equity markets to raise more capital to get through this period. He predicts a $500 million equity cash raise in 2024. But the share price has fallen by 90% since 2021, and this equity raise will dilute existing shareholders by tripling the shares available on the market. Not a good situation for Zip, and not a good situation for many of the other unprofitable companies that were investor darlings before last year. Let's contrast that with a company that is in strong shape financially. Okay, so we're going to look at Aristocrat, which primarily makes pokey machines. And a scan of their balance sheet shows the strength of the company's financials. 
the end of 2022, they had $3 billion in cash and only $2.79 billion in debt. And if we look at Mark's favorite part of the financials, the cash flow statement, we can see they had free cash flow of almost $1 billion in 2022 on top of a profit of close to the same. And this financial flexibility allows them to keep operating aggressively in a difficult environment. They invest 12% of their revenue in research and development, which compares favorably to their two main rivals, international game technology, which invests 7% of sales in R&D, and scientific games, which invests 9%. Aristocrat is also able to reward shareholders thanks to this financial strength by paying out around 40% of earnings to shareholders in the form of dividends. So in an environment with so much uncertainty, it's important to invest in companies that have the flexibility to respond to whatever happens with the economy. And one way you can do this is to look at our analyst ratings, particularly the moat rating, which indicates a sustainable competitive advantage, which can help with the inflationary environment we are facing. Aristocrat has a narrow moat rating. Zip has, of course, no moat. But also our uncertainty rating, which measures business risk, which is key in changing economic conditions and taking into account financial risk as well. Aristocrat has a medium risk and Zip has an extreme risk. Finally, we have a capital allocation rating, which assesses management's track record of being good stewards of shareholder capital and the balance sheet. Aristocrat is exemplary and Zip is standard. And if you don't have access to our ratings, there are things you can look for as well. First, you can take a look at the balance sheet. How much debt do they have and how much cash do they have? Take a look at their debt to equity ratings. This is an indication of their leverage. And while they vary by industry, you can compare two companies and compare a company to the industry average. And of course, lower is better. You can also look at the company's credit rating. That will show what the credit rating agencies think of the company, and it will also have a direct impact on how much interest a company will have to pay to borrow money and their ability to issue debt in an uncertain market. Looking at the free cash flow is also valuable because, of course, the best thing is if they can internally fund their own spending without going out and raising more money. And if you really want to dig into a company, look through their financial statements to see how much of their debt is fixed versus floating and when their debt is scheduled to mature. In a rising interest rate environment, we want fixed rate debt that is maturing far out into the future so they don't get that hit of higher interest rates for a while. So I think the question is, Mark, if investors should make wide-scale changes to their portfolios in light of the uncertainty. We already suggested that going to cash is not a good approach since there will always be uncertainty in the market and sticking your head in the sand isn't a way to achieve your goals. What about rotating into companies that are in better financial and competitive positions? Well, this is a tricky one, Shani. So I'm personally not a big fan of constantly rotating your portfolio due to market conditions. This is not a good approach to achieve your goals. The uncertainty in the markets right now is not exactly a secret. And by the time many people make these rotations, we've already seen the market adjust. We saw that last year when unprofitable companies got hammered and large dividend-paying profitable companies did relatively well. It's all well and good to sell Zip now, but as we said, it's down 90%. Of course, we also suggested it wasn't a great investment before that 90% decline. You know, every once in a while, Shani, we get something right. But rather than all this tinkering, which causes tax and transaction costs, it's perhaps time to go back and think about what kind of companies you want to invest in. I've always been drawn to low business risk companies that are in strong financial position and have moats. So my answer would be that's the way you should invest no matter what is happening in markets. 
but the key is finding an investment approach that you're comfortable with and lowers the chances that you will constantly trade and tinker with your portfolio. Perhaps now is a time to reassess the types of companies you have in your portfolio, but we would urge you to write down the approach you want to take. The last thing we want to do is all of a sudden revert back to a different investment approach after the market rallies and more speculative companies do well once the uncertainty comes down, a rally you are likely to have missed and will be too late for. This is, after all, a game for traders. And as always, we encourage you to be an investor that holds for the long term. So to summarize our market update, we seem to be playing a bit of a waiting game right now. We don't know where things will go from here any more than you do or all the commentators who breathlessly pontificate over the next move by central banks and the next inflation reading. And remember to always zoom out. We've got a world that is awash in debt. Unwinding that debt is going to have implications. Servicing that debt in a higher rate world is going to have implications. So watch your own levels of debt. Make sure you have the flexibility that a robust emergency fund provides in uncertain economic times. For the companies you own in your portfolio, do the same thing. Make sure they have the flexibility to survive and prosper whatever the world throws at us. So hopefully you enjoyed our market update. We're talking a lot about debt. Shani's talking about how she just went into a lot of debt <laughs> to buy a house that's backyard is filled with bricks. But we would love any comments in your podcast app. Or if you have any ideas for shows, please send me an email. My email address is in the show notes. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.